Good News Ministries of GNN.org presents The Story in the Bible. Now, here is Terry Modica. Isaac finishes growing up and he marries Rebecca. And Rebecca grows older and older and older and there is still no child. And Isaac has been given the same promises that God gave to Abraham. God reiterates, repeats to Isaac everything he's told Abraham about the descendants and the kings coming from this line and, you know, a great nation. So now Isaac is being tested in the same way that his father was. Remember how his father quit waiting on God? Well, now Isaac undoes that, undoes the sin of his father, and this time he waits on God. He doesn't use a handmaid of his wife. So Isaac and Rebekah waited out. Probably mom and dad, Abraham and Sarah, had said, now look, son, we know you're waiting for a child. Rebekah, come here. Let me speak to you a little bit. We went through this. We learned the hard way. You better wait on God. So they probably had some help in learning patience here. And eventually, twins were born. Esau, who was born first, and Jacob. This is in chapter 25, and it starts with verse 19. Now, Esau and Jacob were were typical siblings, with typical sibling rivalry. And the sibling rivalry started in the womb. The Bible says that they fought over who was going to be the first one to be born. And Esau grabbed the ankle of Jacob coming out so that Esau would be the firstborn. Now God had his plan. He had already picked out who was going to be the one who his promise was going to be fulfilled through. He knew who was, he was choosing to be the father of the Israelite nation. He knew that he wanted Jacob, that Jacob would be the one with the better personality outfitted for this job, the better relationship with him. And typically, it was the firstborn in the family who was given the best privileges, the best honors, the best greatness of name, the best inheritance. God wanted Jacob, but it was Esau who was actually born first. So when they get old enough to receive the fatherly blessing from from, uh, Isaac, Jacob decides, I have this feeling that I'm supposed to be God's favored one. I just have this feeling it's me. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Here we go again. I'm going to trick Dad into giving me the blessing that really he's supposed to give to Esau because Esau was born first. Because this blessing, remember what I was saying about blessings yesterday. The father would place before he died a blessing on his children. And this blessing was, it had so much prayer power before it that whatever the blessing was, it came true. So if you wanted to have a good life, you better make sure you got a good blessing. And if you wanted that good blessing, you better do something to make sure that dad liked you enough by the time he gave out that blessing. Well, Jacob knew that Isaac, his dad, was going to give the blessing to Esau. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah, got in on this because she favored Jacob. She had her favorite son. And so the two of them plotted together to trick Isaac, who was now blind in his old age, into giving Jacob the blessing. Esau was a hairy one, very hairy. And Jacob did not have much hair on him at all. They were not identical twins. So they sent... 
Esau out, gave him an excuse to go out, go and shoot this game to bring back to your father for the special meal for him. And while he was gone, Jacob makes a false stew. Esau was going to get the favorite food for Isaac and make it into a stew. Rebecca helped Jacob make a make-believe stew with something else that sort of, you know, was like chicken or something that tasted like, it wasn't chicken, but it was, what? Hamburger helper, there you go. And they put goat skin on his arms so that when Jacob in his blindness reached out and felt him, he would think it was his hairy son Esau. And Isaac gives him the fatherly blessing. Esau comes back from the wilderness, needless to say, a little ticked that he did not get all the benefits of the blessing. In chapter 27 is where Isaac tricks his father this way. And because Esau is really, really mad at his brother now, because he's not getting the greater portion of the inheritance, the, the blessed one is the one who got the major portion of the inheritance. It wasn't divided evenly. And because of all the other blessings, all the other honor that came from those blessings, Esau was really, really upset and threatened, or at least Jacob felt threatened for his life. So Jacob flees. Jacob goes back to Haran to hide from his brother. Remember where Haran is? That's where Terah took his family and they stayed for a while. When Abram took the clan away from Haran then to finish the journey to Canaan, some of the family was still left behind in Haran. Jacob decided to hide amongst his relatives back in Haran. And there, in chapter 28, God appears to Jacob and repeats again the promises that he made to, first to Abraham and then to Isaac. He repeats what is going to happen if they stick with God, that many nations will come from him and many descendants. But Jacob is not quite so trusting in God, and he decides he's going to make a deal with God. He says, all right, God, if this promise is true, show me. If you want me to worship you, not because I worship you, but if you really want me to worship you, prove it that it's worth it. If you take care of me, if you make me prosperous, if you do what I want you to do, then I'll worship you. Now, this, this is Jacob. This is the man who is going to be given the name Israel. When God changes his name, it's to Israel. And we know why. You know, this is where the Israelites come from. But in the beginning, Jacob is deceptive. Jacob is fearful. Jacob is taking matters into his own hands. And Jacob is now saying, if you take care of me, then I'll worship you. He had a strong, prideful will. And God had to break it. It took a long time. It took 20 years to get Jacob's will broken. He gave Jacob 20 years of difficulties mixed with the prosperity that he wanted. He didn't just take care of him, making him prosperous like Jacob had asked for. He mixed in difficulties. For example, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. And Rachel's dad said, sure, you can have her as your wife. Let's set up the wedding day. Remember what happened at the wedding day? Poor Jacob raises the veil after they've exchanged their vows and finds out it's the ugly sister Leah that he really married. And because uh, monogamy was not invented yet, and they were allowed to have as many wives as they wanted, Jacob says, look, dad-in-law, I still want to marry your other daughter, Rachel. 
And his father-in-law says, you can, but first you've got to spend the next seven years tending my flocks. There's a lot of story that goes with that, but I'm just, I don't have time for that. Read it yourself. It's a really interesting story. If you ever feel like your life is too difficult and you have to keep going through one difficulty after another just to get to where you want to go, just to reach that goal, read that story. You'll identify with what Jacob went through. If you ever had a boss who deceives you just to get more work out of you, read that because you can identify that boss with his father-in-law. And that's chapter 28, beginning with chapter 28. Finally, Jacob does get Rachel in addition to Leah as his wives, and he returns back home from Haran. After all these years, 20 years, got to get away from that father-in-law, that overbearing, tricking father-in-law. So he decides to go back to Canaan. After all, that's where he belongs anyways, because that's the land that God has been promising him and his descendants. But he's afraid to go back because, does Esau, is he still mad at me? Does he still want to kill me? And it's just before he reconciles with Esau that God gives him the final breaking of his pride. And that's when he wrestles with him. He sends an angel who wrestles with him. And they wrestle all through the night. Jacob just keeps fighting God. He just keeps hanging in there, doing that battle. And finally, the angel says, enough already. Let me show you how much more powerful God is than you. We've, all these years you've been thinking that you can do things on your own, that you're as strong as God. Well, let me just touch your hip. Poof. And he was crippled in his hip. He had a limp ever since. And that's how the angel, or God through the angel, overcame Jacob and won this wrestling match and broke Jacob's pride. That limp that he had for the rest of his life, every time he took a step and limped, probably in excruciating pain, he remembered, oh yes, God is greater. Oh yes, God is stronger. Oh yes, I better not wrestle with God anymore. Maybe those of us who have back pains or leg pains, hip pains, every time we take those steps, oh yes, God is greater. God's trying to show me something here. When his wrestling match was ended, when Jacob succumbed to the greater power of God, is the moment that God renamed him Israel to indicate that now is the beginning of the promises being fulfilled, this nation starting. The word Israel means he struggles with God. And the Israelites sure did that. Now is the beginning, the birth of the Israelite nation. Jacob slash Israel went back to Canaan. This took place about 1,700 years before Christ. If you look on your map, the second map, you can see the breakdown of the tribes of Israel. Each one of those names there, we've got Manasseh, we've got Ephraim, Gad, Reuben, Judah, Simeon. There's 12 different names there in capital letters. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. Most of them were the names of the sons of Israel or the sons of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. In a minute I'll get to why I said that most of those 12 names on the map were his sons. A couple of them are actually his grandsons. Jacob had ten sons by his ugly wife, Leah, the first wife. Those were, and you'll see these names down on there, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and from Levi came the Levites. And who were the Levites? The priests of the Israelite nation. Judah, why is Judah significant? The tribe of Judah produced Joseph and Mary, Jesus. 
That is the actual line that Jesus came from, from Judah. Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali. Those were the ten sons born by Leah. Rachel, the one that Jacob really loved the most, the one he had really wanted as his wife most of all, went through the same thing that her mother-in-law and grandmother-in-law went through. It took forever for her to bear her child. She had to wait a long time. God's doing it again. But when she finally does have a child, his name is Joseph. Anybody see Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat? Jacob, Jacob and Sons. Remember that song from there? If you've seen that, you know the story real well. That's a pretty accurate telling of this story. And if you haven't seen it, when you get the chance, definitely see it. All right. The, the reason why some of the names on the map, some of the tribes of Israel are, not, are, are grandkids instead of kids of Jacob is this. When the Levi tribe, the Levites, were set aside to become priests during Moses' time, when they were set aside to become priests, that meant that that was their only duty, their whole responsibility. They were no longer to own their own land. Each of these tribes had their own land, their own territory, their own little mini-kingdom, so to speak. So when the Levites were taken out of that plan, they could no longer own land. The parish, so to speak, gave them their home to live in, you know, kind of like our priests today. When they were taken out of the land ownership, they needed a replacement. So now Joseph, I forgot to mention, Rachel bore Joseph. She eventually later also had another child. His name was Benjamin. So between the ten sons of Leah, not all of them actually were by Leah. Some of them were by slaves. And the two sons of Rachel is where you get twelve. There is on the map a tribe of Benjamin. Because the Levites were taken out of the picture, Joseph, because he became such an important person, and I'll tell his story in a few minutes, Joseph's two sons were given tribes. There were tribes named after them. Instead of Joseph himself, his name was removed, the Levites' name was removed, and Joseph's two sons in honor of Joseph. So in a way, you could say that Joseph owned two tribes. But because there had to be twelve and not eleven... They named those extra two after his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. We probably all know the story of what happened to Joseph. He was a a prideful snot. Joseph was getting dreams. He was the the favored one. He was the holiest one in the family. He was the, the handsomest. He was favored by Jacob because Rachel was his favorite wife and Rachel bore Joseph. And it took a little while before Benjamin came along. So Jacob gave most of his attention to little Joseph. And the older brothers who came first through Leah were jealous. And Joseph makes matters worse by saying, I'm getting some dreams. I'm really gifted here. God's given me the power of dreams and interpreting dreams. And I had a dream where you all were bowing down to me and serving me. Needless to say, the brothers didn't like hearing this, especially because Joseph was the youngest one. So when they had an opportunity to get rid of him, they did. And by the way, because of their conniving abilities of the the older brothers, because they could do to Joseph what they did, selling him off into slavery to get rid of him, and actually they were first tempted to kill him off, 
And Reuben, the oldest brother, said, uh-uh, I don't think that's right. Let's sell him off into slavery instead. At least he'll be alive. God knew that the Israelite tribes were going to come from these people, so these people needed to learn a few things before things really got rolling here. Because what the father teaches the son and becomes the father who teaches his son, this was what the Israelite nation was going to be made into as they grew. So God needed to get them while they were still a baby nation, teach them as much as he could. The way he did that was through what they did to Joseph and what happened to Joseph afterwards. When they sold him off, the people that the brothers sold Joseph off to were Ishmaelites, the early Arab nation. The early Israelite nation was sold off to the early Arab nation. But Joseph was down in this cistern, this well, where he was being held captive, and before the Ishmaelites got him out of there, the Midianites came along and took him out of there and said, Ooh, slave material, we can sell him. So they took him, and they took him to Egypt. Midian came from Abraham. His wife, Sarah, died while Abraham was still alive, and in his old age. Remember, he was old when Isaac was born. Well, a while later, while he's still old, he marries again when his wife is dead. And that wife's name is Keturah, and I wanted to point out where that was in Scripture. Chapter 25, the very beginning of chapter 25. The end of 24 is about the death of Sarah. Then Abraham married another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bore him a lot more sons, but those were not to become the Israelite nation. One of those sons, in verse 2, is named Midian. So here we have the Midianites, the tribe of Midian, the grandchildren of Midian coming along and finding Joseph, their relative, in the cistern. And they're merchants and they're out for a buck, so they take him to Egypt to sell him off as a slave. And by the way, all of this... It sure looks like a lot of conniving, doesn't it? It sure looks like a lot of worldly planning, a lot of straying from God's plan. Well, God is so awesome, and this is something we always need to remember when it looks like things are being messed up by other people. We know what God's plan is, and someone else is messing it up. We never mess up God's plans, but someone else always does. God used the material they gave him to work with and produced out of this a major, major victory for the Israelite nation. He used Joseph as the first deliverer from major problems because a famine was going to hit. I'll get into that more in a minute, but famine was going to hit, and the only way the Israelites survived the famine was through Joseph. And here's how that happened. Keeping in mind that the humans were doing things that was not of God, and God used it anyways to make an awesome plan happen that needed to happen. When Joseph was sold to the Egyptians, the merchants sold him to a captain of the Pharaoh. And this captain made Joseph the household manager. Well, the captain's wife wasn't getting enough attention from her husband, so she made some sexual advances to Joseph. Joseph refused the advances. He was a moral person. He refused the advances. And his boss's wife was not happy about that, did not like being refused, so she screamed rape. She was going to get him one way or another. She screamed rape. And as a result, the captain believed his wife, not this slave, and Joseph was thrown into prison. Back in Canaan, meanwhile, 
the brothers were getting into more trouble. Judah, from whose line was going to come the Messiah of the world. Judah, by the way, was child number four. Judah was so messed up in his mind and passing that on to his children, two of his sons ended up being killed because of their sinfulness, their depravity. And each of these sons, in turn, had been married to this girl named Tamar. When his sons got killed, he blamed Tamar for it. When a woman marries and produces no sons, the obligation of the time was her dead husband's brother was supposed to then marry her to produce a son. And that's what had happened here. And when no sons were produced by this, Tamar went to Judah and said, You've got to do something about this. Maybe you should marry me. First she said, marry off your other son to me. And Judah saying, no, no, no. You killed off two of my sons already. I'm not giving you a third one. And Tamar, being the conniving person that she was, disguised herself as a prostitute and seduced Judah. And got pregnant. So she said, now you've got to marry me. And Judah had to take her in then because his child was going to be born by her. And Perez and Zerah were the two sons that were born from this union, this sinful way, um, how do I put it? Through deception, this marriage came to be. Through deception, these two sons came to be. But they were the only two sons of Judah that survived. Out of these two sons came the line that produced Jesus. Look how God writes straight with crooked lines. Look at how God uses the most sinful of circumstances to make good come out of it. Now back in Egypt, Joseph is beginning to build up a reputation as being able to interpret dreams. And the Pharaoh has a really strange dream. I'm going to have to run through it real quick. This is in chapter 41. Read it on your own sometime. It's a really neat story. To keep a long story short, Joseph was called out of prison to interpret this dream. And the dream's interpretation was this. There's going to be seven years of great abundance and prosperity in the crops, in the livestock. And then there's going to be seven years of drastic famine in the world. So here, Pharaoh, Joseph said, here's what to do. With the wisdom God's given me, I'm telling you the solution here. The reason why God gave you this dream. For those seven years, take all the extra crops that you can. Store up whatever you can. And then you'll have enough to get through the famine. And Pharaoh was so impressed by this, he made Joseph his number one man in charge in the whole kingdom. He put Joseph in charge of this plan to prepare for the famine. Joseph ended up in this key position. The dream didn't come to Pharaoh just for the sake of saving Egypt. The dream came to Pharaoh also for the sake of saving Israel and the Israelite nation. Because what happened was when the famine hit, here come those ten brothers, the children of Leah and Jacob. And they come marching into Egypt saying, we're starving. Our people are starving. Feed us. Feed us. You've got all this abundance here. Because back home, nobody was listening to God and didn't save up when they could have. So they come to Joseph because he's in charge of rationing out the food during the famine. They don't recognize Joseph. They think he's either dead or who knows where in the world he's serving as a slave. 
And here's Joseph all decked out in this Egyptian finery. They never once think it could possibly be their brother. It's impossible. So Joseph now begins to test them to see whether their hearts have changed since he had last known them. Remember I said that God needed to refine these brothers to test them, to, to teach them some things in order to build the Israelite nation from them? Now is when it's happening. Joseph says, sure, you can have this food. Take it back home. And he sticks a golden cup inside the sacks of somebody to make it look like somebody had just stolen this so that somebody could be accused and put in prison. And they start off to head back to what became known as the Promised Land later, the Palestine area where the family was living. They just start out when, oh my gosh, look what they stole. Somebody's a thief. No, no, we didn't do it honest. We didn't do it. Joseph puts one of the brothers in jail and says, you've got to prove to me that you are honest people. You said you had another brother. Go home and bring that brother to me. Show me that you're honest people. This other brother that was left at home was Benjamin, the only other son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Jacob had lost his favorite son, Joseph. Now he's got his favorite son, Benjamin. You think he's going to want to let that Benjamin out of his sight? Especially into the care of these brothers who lost Joseph? So they're going, oh no, dad's never going to go for this. We can't bring him. We're lost. We're going to have to leave this other brother in prison forever. They go back home and they tell Jacob. And Jacob says, no way, you're not taking Benjamin. They starve for a while, and Jacob says, all right, you've got to go. Do whatever it takes. Just please bring me back, Benjamin. And when they go back, the story's wonderful. Read it. But when they go back, Joseph identifies himself. And he says, you have proven yourselves to be honest people. You cared enough to come back and rescue your brother out of prison. You cared enough to be honest. You cared enough about your father to be concerned about what might happen to Benjamin. In other words, you didn't care before, now you care. You passed the test. And he identified who he really was, and he sends a lot of food back home, but he says, now go and have everybody back home move here to Egypt, where there's plenty of food to eat, and you can stay here till the famine's over. Pharaoh says it's okay, it's cool. So that's what they did. The Israelite, little budding baby Israelite nation, transplants itself into Egypt and stays there for 400 years. Oh, there's a note here that I want to mention. When Jacob was dying, it was time to give his fatherly blessing. And he chose Judah to give that very special blessing to Even though Judah was son number four, he gave the firstborn blessing to him and passed the headship of the family on to Judah, which we know is significant because that's the line that Jesus came out of. This is what part of the blessing was. Remember how I said the blessings come true? They were like promises. He said, the scepter shall never depart from Judah. This is in chapter 49, verse 10. And what a scepter meant was Judah got the firstborn's right to receive the biggest inheritance. That's what the word scepter meant. So when a father gives a blessing and saying, I pass the scepter on to you, means you have the firstborn's right, even if you weren't born first, to receive the biggest inheritance. We also think of scepter as what? Related to royalty, king, power, authority. So there's a tie-in again to Jesus. A promise 
of the Messiah to come. You've been listening to Story in the Bible. For more faith builders or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit gnm.org today.